So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. Uh, today we're going to see this, this beautiful story, a very unlikely story, actually a pretty uncomfortable story in Genesis 16. Uh, and we're going to be introduced to a woman named Hagar. And we're going to see what God wants to say to us about that. Um, but I think about the whole idea of uh, God uh, may give you a vision. He may give you uh, a calling. And, and, and so... How many of you ever felt like that you heard God call you to something? Anybody? Yeah, several people in the room. You feel like that God has called you to something. And uh, in 2015, we were in our first year as restoration. And, and I remember right off the bat, we're a church plant. We're meeting over in Lone Star Elementary. And I immediately began praying for land. Because I'm like, hey, we don't want to live in this uh, cafeteria forever, Right? Of course, we'd been at it for a full two months as I'm praying this, right? So man, let's, let's get out of this school. So I start praying this prayer and, and, and I felt like God said to me one day in my time with him, hey, I'm gonna give you land at the appropriate time. And so I was really excited about that. God gave me an answer. He gave me the answer I was actually looking for. And so in full Greg fashion, I went out looking for land. And so I'm driving around and seeing all these plots of land and just north of the bridge up on the Caleb Road, there were all these overpriced pieces of property that, that I would call and they wanted way too much. I'm like, oh, wow, that's too bad. Well, there was this one piece of land now where Gordon Reed Elementary sits right on the other side of the bridge. And uh, it, it was this beautiful piece of property it wasn't actually for sale, but as we had heard that he might be wanting to sell the property. And so uh, me, Shane Chester, a couple other people, we would drive back there and we would drive around and we would pray. And, uh, and then we just started planning. We're like, hey, this is probably what God wants for us. He's not said that, but it's probably what he wants. And so we, we, like, we plotted that land. We had developed um, like this sprawling campus with the retreat center. I mean, it's a big piece of property. And we're like, man, God, we can't wait for you to deliver this into our hands. So we're really excited about it. Um, here was the problem. Uh, number one, we had no money. And number two, he didn't want to sell it. So we had two things not going for us in that scenario. And so I was super frustrated because I'm like, God, you said you would give us land. And he would always say, at the appropriate time, you know, and, and I was leaving that part out of the equation because I wanted it and I wanted it then. Fast forward about a year, uh, one day Ted Sego called me, it was early 2016, and he told me about 11 and a half acres that he owned as a church. And uh, within two months, our churches had merged together and we had taken possession of the property right here that is now restoration. This is what God had for us. And I could have saved a lot of time, energy, effort, heartache, and frustration by all the people that were charging the hill with me, right? Um, I, Jerry, I think you were a part of that, weren't you, Jeremy? Yeah, you were a part of the problem. So. Uh, So here's a question, how often do you feel God moving you in a direction, but because of your impatience and misunderstanding, you take matters into your own hand? Has that ever happened? Yeah, you just, you, you hear something and you feel like it's from the Lord and you just take off, running out ahead. I mean, I'm a sprinter in a marathon. And so I hear from the Lord and impulsively, I just take out running. And so often, Jesus is still in the starting block. The gun hasn't sounded, and he's like, yeah, not yet, not yet. 
And I have a history of running out ahead of God, thinking that I'm solving his problem for him when, when I'm actually making things more challenging. And so uh, today we're going to move forward in the life of Abram, and I want to catch you up. Last week uh, in chapter 12, we see this man who uh, didn't really do anything to earn God's favor that we know of. He was just in the line of Noah, and it gets to him, and it, and it says, and then there's this guy, Terah, who has uh, these kids. One of them's name is Abram. And then in chapter 12, we see that Abram came or God came to Abram and he, he gave him this promise. And remember the promise in verses two and three of chapter 12, he says, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless as you bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. What is the word that we keep hearing over and over? Blessing. blessing. That God chose to bless Abram. And remember, we, we said last week, he tells him to leave and go. And what did Abram do? He left and went. It was this beautiful picture of faith. And so uh, we look over in Genesis, or, uh, rather Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And Abraham is one of those guys that we hold up there and we go, dude, he killed it. He was a man of faith. God said it and he went, no questions asked. And we hold him up almost as this picture of perfection. But what we're gonna see as we move through his life is that he was anything but. He was a flawed person just like you and me. And so he believed the promise. He left uh, the familiar to, to uh, secure and pursue God's promised land. So he promises this, this land. And then when he gets there, he finds out there's not enough provision to keep them afloat. So we move into chapter, uh, the end of chapter 12, we find out, man, there's a famine going on. And so what does he do? He doesn't trust God for, for provision, but he flees to Egypt because they got some food there. And as he's headed into Egypt, he turns to his wife, Sarai, and says, hey, listen, if they ask you, I'm your brother. That's weird, by the way, right? Hey, wife, call me your brother, I'll call you my sister. Because he was scared to death that if they knew that he was the husband, that they would just off him and take his wife. Apparently, she was a 65-year-old looker, okay? <laughs> she was apparently really attractive because when she got to Egypt, uh, the people in Pharaoh's palace was like, hey, there's a 65-year-old Holly, let's take her. <laughs> I'm just saying. Amen. And, and here, here was Abram, he's like, is that okay to say that? I mean, this is my interpretation. So, uh, so, so here, Abram is like, hey, she's my sister. And they protected him. In fact, the brother got wealthy during that season. That while he's hanging out there in Egypt, protected by the Egyptians, he's acquiring wealth. And then what happens? God puts a disease on Pharaoh's palace and he calls him back and says, bro, why did you tell me this is your sister? Get her out of here. Y'all need to go immediately. And again, those who cursed Abraham were cursed. We see the promise being passed on. And now they leave and they leave richer than when they came. So here's the question. Was Abram, was Abram obedient in that moment? No. Did God bless him? Yes. Why? Because God's a promise keeper. God keeps his promises. 
So then we uh, move into 13, and, and, and we see uh, Lot, Abraham's nephew, is living with them. And do you remember that there's a point where uh, really as they're growing, they're like, there's not enough room for the two of us here as we're spreading out. And so Abram says to Lot, hey, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And Lot looks around, and he chooses what he thinks is the best-looking land. And he goes, I'll, I'll head over there. And it says he headed in what direction? East. And he settled in the east, and it says that he set up camp right outside Sodom. We'll see that that's not a good place next week. But what happens? God blesses Abram in that moment. He says, listen, look all around you, north, south, east, and west, all of this, this is your land. And then look at what he says in Genesis 13, 16. He says, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. That's a lot. Again, he's already told him this is gonna come to pass and now he's reminding him. In, in 15, as we move into chapter 15, um, God, or Abraham questions God about being childless. He's like, hey, there's no way for my descendants to be as many as the dust of the earth because we can't have kids. And what does God do? He reiterates his promise of generational blessing. Look at uh, Genesis 15, verse four. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. He's talking about someone that is living in his palace, but a son who is your what? Own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside. He says, look up in the sky and count the stars. Indeed, if you can count them, he said, then shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So are you following what's going on that God just continues to promise him, continues to promise him? He says, hey, listen, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna bless you with land and descendants more than you could ever imagine. He says in 13, more than the dust of the earth. In chapter 15, more than the stars of the sky. He's giving him as many analogies as possible Amen. that he is faithful. Amen. And so as we move into chapter 16, this is where we're gonna pick up this story. And we're gonna see what happens when people take matters into their own hands. Okay, look at, look at verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to do what Sarai said. So remember, we learned at the end of chapter 11 that she's barren, right? And it was kind of a peculiar thing to add as they're going through this genealogy that, that they say, hey, she's barren. But now we see that it's a problem. God's made a promise, but there's no path to that promise. No natural, ordinary path to the promise. Think about your life, something that's going on in your life and it just, you don't see the end in sight. You don't see how it's gonna work out. And what you're thinking in your mind is, man, it would take a miracle for that to happen. Has anybody ever said that? Man, it'd take a miracle for me to win the lottery, right? I'm down for you winning the lottery, by the way. 
We got a building to build, all right? So, uh, so, so, so here we, we think about it, man. We're, 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 we're looking at it and we're looking at, at, at the whole idea of Sarai. She's looking and she sees, hey, I don't see the path to your promise, God. So she starts looking around for a natural solution. And what's the natural solution? Hey, I've got a maidservant. Why don't you take her? Why don't you go ahead, take her, go sleep with her, and you can have a child. Imagine the pressure that Sarai lived under. We've seen that now on three occasions, God has specifically spoken to Abram, told him that his descendants would be more than the dust of the earth, more than the stars in the sky. And every time Abram comes home excited about it to share with his wife, what'd you do today? Well, God talked to me and he told me that our descendants are gonna be more than the stars in the sky. Can you imagine the shame that he was heaping on his wife. He didn't mean to. He's excited about what God's gonna do. But Sarai, because she could not perform, she couldn't uh, make good on the promise that God had made, she begins to look for an earthly solution. So know this. Any decision that you make out of shame is never gonna turn out well. And don't we do that from time to time? That you make a bad decision You're living in a sense of brokenness. And I think about the idea of forgiveness. I think we could all probably buy into the idea that God forgives me. Okay, God is a forgiving God, I get that. You know who the hardest person to forgive you is? You. Yeah. The hardest person to forgive you is you. And so often you're holding yourself in check out of a sense of shame. I should have done this or I shouldn't have done this. And you would say out loud, I know God's forgiven me. And and yet every day you are making decisions for your life based out of a sense of unworthiness cloaked in shame. And you start wearing glasses. And that's the way you're viewing the world. I'm not enough. I'm not qualified. So why do I think that we think like that? Well, because we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people right here in this area that attend churches and yet the world's not being transformed. Why? Because we don't believe that we are enough. We don't believe that we're actually God's plan for the world. We don't believe that God has given us a calling that we're supposed to walk confidently into the calling. We don't believe that he works outside of our obedience. But you know what we do believe? I can figure this out. I can figure this out. And, and that, was, that was right here. She's got it all figured out. What could possibly go wrong in this scenario, Right? So he, uh, she offers up her Egyptian servant, Hagar, which, by the way, that seems weird today. Like, if your wife came to you and said, hey, our maid that comes, you know, once a week, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't even need to finish it. That was like the punchline. Yeah, none of us think that would be a good idea, right? We all think that would be a bad idea or a trap or something, but it's not good. 
But in that time, it was a cultural custom that if you were barren and couldn't have kids, then you could uh, bring in a surrogate. And when they had your child, you would raise them as husband and wife. And so it was a common cultural custom during that day that that was acceptable. Yeah, doesn't make it right. But again, they're taking their clues from the culture. This seems like a very easy cultural solution to the problem that they were facing. And remember, there was no uh, uh, real medicine during that time. There weren't doctors that were like, hey, we can fertilize this egg, you know, without that. So it's only one solution. Sleep with her. And it said that Abram agreed. So verse three, after years of living in Canaan, Sarai took his Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. So Sarai comes to the table with the solution to God's problem. She came to fix God's problem. God, uh, you keep saying this, you know, it's like the princess bride. I do not... I do not think it means what you think it means, right? <laughs> you don't understand, I can't have kids. But you know what? I'm gonna fix your problem. And Abram went along with it. I mean, it just makes so little sense. All in the name of God's promise. So here's how the enemy works. God has an assignment on your life. Some of you, you've received your Ephesians 2.10 calling. You know that it's right there in front of you. It's what gets you up in the morning. It's what keeps you up at night and, and make you ready to roll. Well, know this. The enemy has an assignment on your life as well. And his assignment includes shame, includes guilt, includes fear. And so what he'll do is he'll come to you like the angel of light that he is. And he'll come to you and say, hey, here's the solution. God's called you to do X and, and here's a way to get there. Yes. Amen. What could possibly go wrong listening to the enemy's advice for your life? Everything. And yet we do it every day. We take the bait because we want instant gratification. Yes. Amen. We have the patience of a gnat. Yes. We don't want to wait a hot second. It's just like, God, you said it, so I'm going. And the enemy's like, hey, come this way. Okay, let's go, Whatever. Just, let's just get her done. It reminds me of Romans 12 too, because here's what they did. They conformed to the patterns of the world. And Paul says, hey, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't, don't do it, Abram. Don't give in to that. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to turn out well. And look at what happened. That as soon as she conceived, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So Hagar, as soon as she knew that she was pregnant, she looks and she's like, well, I'm pregnant, she's not. I'm bearing a child, she's not. I'm probably more important on the food chain. And now the whole thing's going south. 
Again, I think any one of us in this story would have kind of seen it coming, right? There's a promise that God has made to Abram. I'm now providing the solution as if the ends justify the means. Can you find yourself often embracing sin because you've just determined that the ends justify the means? As long as it works out well, it doesn't matter how I get there. Man, that was my life for so long. I would paint outside the lines all the time because I felt like in the end, as long as it works out well, as long as people are are singing with their heads raised, I've done my job. It didn't matter what I was doing behind closed doors. It didn't matter what my thought life was like. It didn't matter uh, the things that I was letting into my life, both through my eyes and ears and experiences because the ends justify the means, right? Know this, you'll never live above the purposes and the plan that God has for you and it work out well for you. And you know that because you've lived it. Some of you are in the middle of it and you're, you're still convinced that you're the exception. Spoiler alert, you're not. It will not work out well for you. And just know as your pastor, man, hit me up when it goes south because I will walk through a process of healing with you. But it's coming. So here we are, and I love what happens next. That Sarai, realizing that she had made a mistake, verse five, she said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant and despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Sarai, a little buyer's remorse maybe? right? She's like, this didn't quite work out the way that I thought it was. Look at what you've done, Abram. Look at what you've done. Sarai's idea now was Abram's problem. Uh, Why didn't you talk me out of this? How could you do this? When I was thinking about this passage, there was a movie out, it's probably 20 years old. Do y'all remember the movie Indecent Proposal? And the whole premise of the story is Robert Redford's this rich dude that meets uh, Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore and he's like, hey, I'll give you a million bucks for your wife for a night. And he goes, they, they get together and they're like, hey, what can we do with a million bucks? And they convince themselves that it's a good idea. And so if you've seen the movie, he goes away, uh, Robert Redford to me more go away for a night and Woody Harrelson's pacing the floor and then she comes back and they swear never to discuss it, right? What could possibly go wrong? They get the million bucks and then he just becomes obsessed. What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? And then uh, it ends up becoming a big deal in their marriage. She leaves him and now she's kind of flirting with maybe being with this guy and, and uh, they end up not keeping the money at all. So the money, which was the point of the whole thing, ends up going by the wayside. And it's not until the end of the movie that they both realize that they had been duped. They both realize that it wasn't worth it. And all of us sitting in the movie theater are like, well, I could have told you that. And here's Sarah on the other side of this bad decision is like, Abram, what were you, th- you were supposed to be the spiritual leader, bro. 
Why do you put a stop to this? It was just a crazy idea. And now here we are. And then I love, so Abram does a great job here in verse six. Hey, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So haven't we seen this story before? Genesis chapter three. Eve, tempted by the enemy, takes a bite of the fruit and hands it to her husband who was with her and he eats it. And so I think for anyone who says, hey, it was the woman's fault. I mean, technically it was, but at the end of the day, for every woman that's living outside of God's purposes, there's a man standing beside her allowing her to do it. And so men, when we get back to assuming spiritual headship of your house, it, it, we've got to step up and be the godly men that are protectors of our home. And when things go south, I love Abram's like, hey, uh, she's your servant. Do whatever you want with her. How dishonoring is that to Hagar? I mean, she's just a pawn in this whole game. She actually thought she was doing a good thing. She actually thought that she's stepping in and providing a, a means to an end. And now both of them are like, uh, yeah, this isn't right. Hey, man, mistreat her. Do whatever you want. She's not my slave. She's your slave. Yeah, bro, but she's your wife now. So just a quick reminder. These are the people whom God chose to make a covenant with. Remember that part? Remember the part that he keeps doubling down going, hey, descendants of the earth are coming from you, bro. You got this. All the stars of the sky, all the dust of the earth, man, it's you. It's you. It's you. And you would think right here in this moment, God's like, eh. I might need to rethink this decision. Do you think God didn't see it coming? Here's a reminder. God works outside of our obedience to accomplish his purposes every day. He has to because we're disobedient people. And you may get it right more than you don't get it right, but you don't get it right all the time. Even as a follower of Jesus, man, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, Paul in Romans 7, he's like super Christian, right? And he says in Romans 7, hey, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. What is wrong with me? I'm so jacked up. This is praise be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Every day, God is looking at the product of our life and he's like, hey, well, that's a solution. But I'm not giving up on you. You're still the hope of the world. I still wanna use you to accomplish my purposes. Look at verse seven. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much 
that they will be too numerous to count. So Hagar fled. Can you imagine how she felt? She commanded Hagar to provide a child for her husband to carry out something that God had told her to do. And now she'd become a reminder to survive her deepest pain of her biggest failure. So she ran. And here's what's interesting to me. That could have been the last time we heard from Hagar. She could have died in the desert. And Abram and Sarah could have gone on with their lives and everything would have been really clean and tidy, right? And we never heard from Hagar again, period. Next chapter. But guess what? That's not what God does. What God does is he takes something messy and he turns it for his glory, for his purposes. And here's what I love. She fled and God met her in her pain and fear. It says an angel of the Lord shows up on the scene. It's the first time this has happened in the Bible. Then an angel of the Lord shows up on the scene and says, hey, where are you going? Where have you been? And what's the implication there? Just like God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, where are you? Where are you? He saw her in that moment. Then he says, go back and submit to Sarai. You need to go back and uh, do what you were doing and I will bless you with descendants too numerous to count. It's a similar blessing, not the Abrahamic blessing, but a similar blessing is being placed on Hagar's life. And this is where I love how God works. It's how he has to work because of you and me. He uses an imperfect situation for his glory and his purposes. And he tells Hagar, hey, here's what I need, simple obedience. Be obedient and you'll be blessed. Live in obedience and you'll be blessed. So here's just a little interesting thing. So some scholars believe that this angel of the Lord, because later um, Hagar says that she was met by the Lord. Some scholars believe that this angel of the Lord was actually the physical manifestation of God. And who do we know to be the physical manifestation of God? Jesus. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that Jesus met Hagar by the spring. But here's what's cool. Are you ready? Many translations say that she was there by a well. So Jesus met a woman by a well. A disparaged woman by a well. A, a, a woman who was living in shame, who fled uh, from, from people because in her mind she was an outcast. She was being mistreated because of her lifestyle. And this angel of the Lord, Jesus came to her and said, hey, where have you been? Where are you going? Have we seen that scene later in the Bible? In John chapter four, when Jesus shows up and, and meets a woman by a well in the heat of the day and begins to ask her questions and tells her about her whole life. Yes, amen. And what does he say? Go back to your village. Go back to your village. Go and sin no more. And this angel of the Lord, maybe it's Jesus, standing by this well says, hey, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. Go back, submit, and I'm gonna bless you. 
in a way that you could never ask or imagine. So we see verse 11, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant, you will give birth to a son, you will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Other words for that. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. So God named the child Ishmael, meaning God hears. The Lord hears. He's saying, listen, your cries have not gone unheard. You're gonna be blessed with a child and the child's name will be the Lord hears. The Lord has heard you. So Ishmael's descendants will uh, eventually become the Arabic people. And then later, we're gonna find that uh, when Sarah has a child, Isaac, his descendants become the Jewish people. And so right here in Genesis, we we see um, what happens as a result of these two races now coming in, both fathered by Abraham, different moms, and what does it say? he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And so thousands of years later, we still see the Jewish race and the Arab race at war with each other. Amen. This is where it began. Yes. It was birthed out of Abram and Sarai taking matters into their own hands. Yes. And listen, we don't know how this is all gonna work out. We know the end of the book. We know that Jesus wins in the end, but we don't know what the plan is for redemption for those who are living in the Arab world that don't know Jesus. We just know that God is good and that God puts a plan in place and what God begins, he will finish. Why? Because he's good and he's sovereign over it all. So look at verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. She said, I now have seen the one who sees me. You are the God who sees me. She felt seen. Just like the woman at the well in John 4, when she runs back to the village and says, hey, come meet a man who told me everything about my life. She felt seen. She felt heard in that moment by the Lord. Amen. And here's what's interesting. Likely her only God concept that she had came from the two people who betrayed her, mistreated her, and sent her packing. Amen. Remember, she was an Egyptian. And so now she's living uh, with, with Abram and Sarai who are worshiping the Lord and when things go south because of their bad decisions, they, they literally turn on her. So let that be for you today. If you're uh, someone that is afraid to share your faith because you're afraid, well, I'm not really worthy of sharing my faith. Well, you're right, but at the end of the day, here's the crux of the gospel message. This is who I was, this is who I am. This is who I was, this is who I am. And guess what? I'm on a journey until Jesus comes back. I don't have it all together, but I'm on a journey toward Jesus. And so for you, recognize today that 
um, first of all, you don't save anybody. Amen. So if you've ever said, yeah, I shared Christ with somebody and I saved them, it wasn't you, <laughs> all right? So calm down. No, but God will use you. Yes. He'll use your story. Just like if you were here a couple of weeks ago when all these people stood up here uh, during the week that Gavin spoke, how powerful was that? There were some words said that, that you don't normally hear in church, right? That you probably had to go home and explain to your kids. It's okay. But the truth of the matter is people who have been wrecked by God have been changed by him, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination forgiven and free. God met them. God met them. And know this, God wants to use you. You're actually his plan to change the world. How many of you, like right now when I say that, that kind of freaks you out? Anybody? Does me a little bit because I know me, right? And so I'm like, oh, yikes. But know this, God's grace covers your sin. It's bigger than your failing. It's bigger than your shame. It's bigger than your guilt. It's bigger than your fear. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free and he's inviting you into the life that he wants to bless. Calling you out of your failure into the life that he has for you. So it says that Hagar went back to Abram, bore a son, Abram's 86 when he has this child, 86. Okay, so as we land the plane, so uh, we have to fast forward 13 years to see how this plays out. So from the end of 16 to the beginning of 17, there's this 13-year lapse in time. And we don't know exactly what happens during that 13 years, but, but here's what we see. Look at verse one. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the... God, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your, your name will be Abraham for I've made you the father of many nations. I will make you fruitful. I'll make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So I don't know what happened in those 13 years. Was God silent during those 13 years? Was Abram just kind of sitting around biding his time? Was he putting one foot in front of the other and walking faithfully with God? Here's what we know for sure. We have no idea. We just know that there's this 13 year lapse and God comes and visits Abram, and what does he say? The same thing he's been saying. Abram, I haven't forgotten you. I made you a promise. And I'm a promise keeper. And so I'm gonna continue to make good on my promise to you. That's pretty cool, right? But here's what I love. He changes his name. Sometimes we just need a little clearing of the palate, right? He goes, hey, Abram was kind of a mess. 
I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. So I'm not just telling you I'm going to do it. Now I'm changing your name. That's how you're going to live for the rest of your life. I'm giving you a new identity. Yeah, you made some mistakes, but I am going to bless you beyond comprehension. Why? Had he earned it? No. It's because God is a promise keeper. And then look in 17 verse 15 through 19. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. (laughs) He changes both of their names. I'm like, hey, listen, we've had a little spotty past. We're moving forward. And I'm about to blow your mind by doing something extraordinary in your life. So many times I meet people that are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s that every time they tell a story uh, about their faith, they talk about what God did way back here. And now they're sitting just coasting to the finish line. And here's what I need you to know. God's not done with you yet. He's not done. There are still things he wants to accomplish in you and through you. He's not put you out to pasture. You don't have to become the get off my lawn people. There's still something that God wants to do in you and through you. But you gotta believe. If God can father a child at 99, Sarah can have a child at 90. I think he can use you in a significant way. So here are five quick things I want you to think about as we close today. I stole this phrase from my friend, John Cheryl. If it's God's will, then it's God's bill. I'm sure he stole it from some corny pastor site. But uh, uh, if it's God's will, then it's God's will. Here's what I mean by that. If God uh, institutes something, if he's made a promise, it's his job to make good on the promise. It's not your job to jump in and make up the plan. If it's his will for you to do something, he will provide the way. That's who he is. God will make good on his promise every time because that's who he is. Number two, God often works outside our obedience to accomplish his purposes. Sarai gave up on God, but God didn't give up on Sarai. God gave up on Abram on more, or Abram gave up on God on more than one occasion, but God didn't give up on Abram. He continued to double down on his promise. And Abram chose a very logical path that led to a whole lot of heartache and hatred and pain. But God redeemed the situation and continued to bless Abram in spite of his lack of faith. So here's a question for you. Where do you need to chart a new path to faith? Where is it that you've given in to a belief that it's not gonna work? You've been disobedient? You've been living in habitual sin? And you'd love to move forward, but you just can't figure it out in your own mind. Where's that you can hear the Lord saying to you, hey, have faith to believe. I'm not done with you. 
It's never too late to do the next right thing. He's not done with you yet. Number three, in the middle of Hagar's fear and flight, are you ready? God came down. When she was running, God came down. When she was disillusioned, when she felt cast away, when she felt completely broken and betrayed, God came down. Wherever you are in your life, whatever you've done in your life, whatever mess you've made out of your life, know this, Jesus came down into your mess and became a mess on your behalf so that you could have life. It's what he does. Jesus stepped into her mess and made her a promise. Guess what? He's a promise keeper. Where do you need Jesus to step into a mess you've made? Because remember the two things we know. She walked away from that encounter with the promise of a child the Lord hears. And she said, the Lord has seen me. God hears you. God sees you. Allow him to step into your mess. Number four, your failure doesn't have to be final. For so many of us, we fail and we quit. The enemy will keep you in that cycle of shame to keep you out of the game when in reality, God's like, hey, I forgave you a long time ago. I just need you to walk into the next right thing, to walk in the path that I have for you. Abraham failed as a leader at home, but God didn't let that be the final chapter. Isn't that interesting that he failed as a leader and yet he called him the father of many nations? For some of us, you need to understand what God calls you and what you call yourself are often two different things. The enemy will call you things out of a sense of unworthiness, but God will call out of you the identity that he's placed on your life. I'm not done with you. Your failure doesn't define you. I see you. And I'm calling you into the life that I have for you. Come on, y'all. He's got a plan. He's inviting you to partner with him in spite of your failure. Guess what? You're jacked up. And it's okay because Jesus loves to partner with jacked up people. It's all he's got. he's inviting you into a transformed life that will transform lives. Your biggest failure is the thing that God will use to transform the lives around you. Because on the other side of it, there's a blessing that comes from obedience to doing the next right thing. I mean, (laughs) I'm so grateful he didn't give up on me in 2010 that he didn't pull the plug and just go, yeah, mm, you've had too many chances. You're out. And I was for a season. And I'm so grateful that he didn't completely give up on me. He said, you know what? Your failure doesn't have to be the final chapter. You choose me and then let me take care of the rest. And finally, God will make good on his promises in extraordinary ways. Sarai couldn't have kids her whole life until she could. Remember, she can do it her whole life until all of a sudden she could. That's what God does. You may be looking at it going, man, I have tried and tried this, and I've tried that, and I've tried that. It doesn't work. And God's like, hey, just give me one more time. Just, can we take one more shot? 
because it's that next time that you trust him that you take that leap of faith that he does something extraordinary. Stop spreadsheeting it. Stop looking for the logical solution because very seldom will you find God in the logic. Why? Because he is extraordinary, more than ordinary, and he wants to do something that you couldn't come up with on your own. There's an extraordinary plan. And so where have you trusted a logical process and God is asking you to believe for the extraordinary? It's right there in front of you.